Beloved, our call to worship this morning comes from Isaiah 49, verse 13 through 15. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. We'll hear the continue reading in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. This evening, Dr. Beakey hopes to preach a sermon on Pentecost. This allows me to continue uh, the series on Ruth. So we'll read Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth with barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning. And she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. God bless the reading of his holy and precious word to assure our hearts before him. We'll read again this morning as our text, Ruth 2, verses 10 through 13. Ruth 2, 10 through 13. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. 
And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of the kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. Well, in our last message on Ruth, we left Ruth and Boaz on the threshing floor at midnight. You recall Ruth's request to Boaz. I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. We saw in those words that Ruth was requesting marriage from Boaz. What Boaz had commended about Ruth in Ruth 2 verse 12, about coming under the wings of the Lord, we see now Ruth requesting a Boaz on a human level in marriage. We were left hanging last time as to what Boaz's response would be to Ruth's request. How would he respond to this woman who came and laid at his feet at midnight, who risked everything, as it were, to come to the threshing floor? She risked her reputation. She risked the reality of rejection from Boaz and his workers. What's well, that response that we wish to consider this morning? You can imagine the tension that's on the threshing floor at midnight. We read in the previous verses that Boaz was afraid. He was afraid as he woke up and he found this woman lying at his feet. Who is this? What's happening here? The man was afraid because of the woman at his feet. We saw echoes of the Garden of Eden, of God bringing Adam and Eve together and now bringing Boaz and Ruth together in marriage. And yet there is tension Ruth lies at his feet as a Moabite, as a stranger, as an outsider. Boaz was her last, best hope for redemption. And so there's a lot of uncertainty for Ruth. How will Boaz respond to her request for marriage? Will he respond to her like he did when she came into his field and he he opened up his field to her and said, glean here and don't go to another field, stay in my field, and he He made it easy for her to glean in the field. He provided handfuls of grain on purpose for her. Will he respond kindly to her? Well, that was grain. That was the field. This is marriage. This is something something more weighty. It's one thing for Boaz to be generous to a stranger. But will Boaz... Marry a stranger? That's the question. There's the tension. And then Boaz speaks. He speaks with reassuring words. To Ruth's request. To the uncertainty in her present situation. And so our theme this morning is this, assurances from the Redeemer. Assurances from the Redeemer. First of all, we see that in the acclamation or in the blessing of Ruth's kindness. As Boaz begins to speak in response to her request, he commends her, he blesses her for her kindness in verse 10. Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. As he awakes from his slumber, as, he, as you can imagine him maybe rubbing the sleep from his eyes and, and his surprise at finding Ruth there. And he hears her asking for marriage, for him to spread his skirt over her, his wings over her. He responds with, with words of, of blessing. It's not this. It's not, what are you doing here? Get out of here. No, it's... Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. 
It speaks to Boaz's character, doesn't it? His godliness. As he wakes up, his first thoughts are of God. Blessed be thou of the Lord. It's not his words of blessing. It's not his blessing that he conveys to Ruth. It's the Lord's blessing. Blessed be thou of the Lord. Words of assurance and reassurance for a trembling stranger who stands at his feet whose hope is tied up in the near kinsman. He does not call his own blessing, but the specific blessing of the Lord. He invokes the covenant name of God and calls down the Lord's blessing upon her, upon this Moabite woman. The blessings of the I am that I am, of of Yahweh, of Jehovah, of the covenant God of Israel. He says, the Lord bless thee. Words of reassurance for a Moabite, for a stranger. That she's come now, not just to Boaz. But she's been received into the covenant community of Israel by the grace of God. By the covenant grace of God. She's come home to the Lord. That's what Boaz recognizes as he sees her standing there. As Ruth takes hold of his Redeemer's status. Boaz is pleased to commend her to God's blessing, to reassure her with those words. No harsh words of rebuke, words of blessing, the blessing of the Lord. As if he's saying, you're in the right place, Ruth. The Lord has brought you here. And so the Lord bless you. You're in the realm of of God's blessing. He addresses her as a daughter. We saw that already in chapter 2. He continues that address here. The address in his own home as she sat at his table was daughter. The address now as she stands before Boaz and requests marriage is the same. It's daughter. He owns her as his own. She's part of the family. Part of Boaz's family. Part of the family of Israel more broadly. Well, isn't this a reminder? But as we see Christ pictured in Boaz and his office of Redeemer, it's a reminder for those who, who are trembling perhaps this morning. Those who are seeking reassurances for spiritual marriage with Christ, with the kinsman Redeemer, with the greater Boaz. What does he say to those who come asking for marriage with him? Or asking for reassurances of their marriage with him? Does he turn them away harshly? Does he rebuke them and say, what are you doing here? As if you don't belong? No. He blesses those who come seeking spiritual union with Him, seeking refuge and rest under the wings of the Redeemer. He takes them under the wings. He shelters them under the wings because of who He is. He is the Lord. He is the covenant God. It's within His covenant grace and mercy that He includes trembling sinners who come to Him. He assures such this morning of His his great and generous blessing he assures you of what, you, what He has already done to bring you to Himself and His kindness. He's drawn you to His feet because of who He is. We go back all the way to the beginnings of chapter 2. What was it that drew Ruth to the fields of Boaz in the first place? She said, let me go glean in the, in the field of the one in whose eyes I shall find grace. It was grace that drew her to the field. It was grace that drew her to the feet of Boaz on the threshing floor at midnight. It is grace that draws sinners to the feet of Christ. And so when you find yourself crying out for marriage with Christ, know that it is His grace that has drawn you there in the first place. That you would not come on your own. 
And when you come, he blesses, confirms that coming with his own blessing. Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son, my daughter. Do you hear how he addresses you, believer? Trembling, perhaps. Doubting, perhaps. Anxious, perhaps. But this is how he sees you. He honors the broken and the contrite heart who cast themselves at the feet of Christ and cry out for his wings to cover them. Words of reassurance. But Boaz continues to bless Ruth for her kindness. Listen to the reason for such blessing. He says in verse 10, For thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. What's going on here? What does Boaz mean when he says these words? Thou hast shown more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Well, let's focus in on that word kindness. The Hebrew word, as we've already seen, is chesed. Refers to the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. The grace of the Lord. The loving kindness of the Lord. Naomi brings it up in her conversation with Ruth and Orpah as she tries to convince them to go back to, to Moab. Within the context of the family, there was this faithfulness, this loyalty to Naomi displayed by Ruth and Orpah. She says, The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. There's, in a sense, a reflection of the Lord's kindness displayed by Ruth and Orpah to Naomi, and she acknowledges that. Though we see it chiefly exhibited by Ruth. The Lord deal in kindness with you. It's this loyalty, it's this kindness that Boaz commends in Ruth 2 verse 11. He doesn't use the word there, but he uses the the picture of what Ruth has done for her mother-in-law. He says, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband, how thou hast left thy father and thy mother. Ruth has forsaken everything. See, she has sacrificed everything, her homeland, her her. Her home, her family, everything, her, her culture, her customs, her, her worship even. She has forsaken all to, to pursue the Lord, but also to care for Naomi, to dedicate herself to her mother-in-law, to reflect this covenant loyalty of the Lord in her own life back to Naomi. And then it's this kindness this kindness of the Lord that Boaz demonstrates to Ruth as she gleans in the field. You recall Ruth returns home to Naomi and she, she shows her the, the plenty that she had from the field of Boaz. The plenty that she had left over from the meal in Boaz's home. Naomi responds, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. In Ruth 2 verse 20. Kindness runs through the the narrative of Ruth. Runs through the heart and the life of both Ruth and Boaz as a reflection of the Lord's kindness to them. Because Boaz commends Ruth's kindness again in our text. He's referring here to the kindness that Ruth has shown to her mother-in-law. Her kindness, her loyalty to her mother-in-law and to the Lord has led her to seeking marriage with Boaz to redeem Naomi's inheritance so that Naomi could be cared for in her widowhood. And if Boaz is the near kinsman, then her best hope for redemption lay with Boaz. Not with young men, whether they are poor or rich. 
And so this kindness led her to the feet of Boaz. He was identified as the Redeemer, and that's where Ruth focuses. What Boaz is saying here, the kindness you are showing now to Naomi by seeking marriage and redemption with me is greater than all of the kindness that you've shown to this point. What a comfort that is for Ruth. She asks for protection, for redemption under the wings of Boaz. What words of confirmation come from his lips to calm her mind and her heart that she's in the right place. He's not turned to her way, but he sees her dedication. He sees her determination, her loyalty, and reflection of the kindness of the Lord in her heart and in her actions. And beloved, isn't this how the greater Boaz deals with sinners this morning? Those who seek redemption with him, those who seek shelter under his wings. As his kindness makes his way into hearts, the hearts of his children as he draws to himself. We begin to reflect that kindness, that loyalty, that faithfulness to others. This is what he sees. This is what he draws out by his grace. Not just our kindness, but the fact that his kindness is the foundation, his covenant loyalty is the foundation for our lives of showing that kindness to others. He confirms those who seek him as the only one who can redeem them. He says, you're in the right place this morning if you're at my feet. It's my kindness that has brought you here to seek that redemption in the first place. It's my kindness in your heart. Not some kind of kindness that you can conjure up on your own, that you can think of on your own, that you can band-aid onto your life somehow as an addition to everything else that you're doing. When he looks into the heart... He sees his kindness. That's what Boaz sees. The kindness of the Lord reflected in the heart of Ruth. Touched by the grace of the Lord. Living that out in real time. And so Ruth receives assurance and the acclamation of her kindness but also in the affirmation of her request. Listen to what Boaz says next in verse 11. And now, my daughter, fear not. Words of assurance again, words of affirmation. He affirms her identity for the second time in the same conversation. My daughter, let it settle into your mind and heart, Ruth. You're not a stranger to me. You are a daughter. You are accepted. You are in the family. You are part of the covenant. Let it settle. Fear not, my daughter, the choicest words to, to calm. She stands on the threshing floor at midnight in the dark of the night. The fear that plays into her mind and heart. No two words speak more comfort than these. Fear not. Fear not. To a stranger who is vulnerable to rejection, who feels her own unworthiness, she stands and she hears these words. Fear not, my daughter. We need to recognize that just because Ruth lays hold of of Boaz as her redeemer doesn't mean there's, there's no fear in her heart. Because she comes with the confidence of faith doesn't mean that fear can can rear its ugly head and inject uncertainty into the equation. There was the fear of rejection. There was the fear of being found out that she had visited Boaz on the threshing floor. The gossip that would follow. Did you hear that the Moabite visited Boaz on the threshing floor? The Moabite? Oh, you remember Lot and his daughters? That was the beginning of Moab. Here's this Moabite. She's no different than Lot and his daughters going to the threshing floor at midnight. What was she thinking? 
fear. She'd staked everything on Boaz as her redeemer. It was the fear of refusal. What if he didn't do what she had asked? But there are these words, powerful words, fear-shattering words. Fear not, my daughter. The parallel is true spiritually, isn't it? There are those who come to Christ sincerely and genuinely, even at times confidently, but there are fears. Fears of what others might think. The fear of refusal from Christ. The fear of rejection. That when we go back to our stranger identity and we look there and we, we park there and we, we dwell there, what is the result? It's fear, isn't it? Because it's all we see and that, that consumes us and that's Fear not, my daughter. You're at my feet. You're at the right place. What if I don't have enough faith? What if it's not sincere and genuine? What if I'm not growing like I should? What must I really feel in coming to Christ? What if I don't measure up? What if? Follows what if? What if? Let's stop the what ifs this morning. Let's fix our gaze upwards to the greater Boaz this morning to Christ and hear his reassuring word. And let's park there. And rest there. Fear not. My son. My daughter. Two small words. To destroy your great fear. To assure your heart. If your only hope is in Christ. Your coming is not in vain. Fear not. That's not all that Boaz says. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. Verse 11. He was a pledge that he will undertake Ruth's request and do what she has asked. Here is a guarantee that Boaz himself will see to all the legalities, all the complexities for redemption. For redeeming the inheritance of Naomi by marrying Ruth, he will take care of it. What an affirmation for a Gentile, for a Moabite woman who would not have been guaranteed a place in the congregation of the Lord according to Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. Some of you have asked me about that. What about that verse that prohibits the Moabites from coming into the congregation of the Lord till the tenth generation. Let me submit to you that, that Ruth is no longer a Moabite. Ruth is a true Israelite. And her marriage with Boaz will seal that identity. The marriage will just confirm what has already taken place. The redeeming work of the Lord Here she receives assurances that Boaz will honor her request. He will do all that was required. Nothing will be left undone by Boaz. Not just one aspect here or there. He will do it all. Redemption will be complete. Isn't that the word of God again? The word of Christ again? 
to those who are at the feet of Christ this morning, those who cast their hope on him, he says not only that he will do it all, but he has done it all. It is finished. Objectively speaking, salvation is accomplished. Nothing more that you have to do than to fall on Christ. What assurance for a soul that is in this tenuous, uncertain situation. What will happen if I fall on Christ? I know He's done it all. I know He cried out, it is finished. But internally, See, I'm not worthy of a place in the covenant community. I'm not worthy of a place in Christ. But his word comes this morning, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, all that you ask of me, I will do. Not just objectively, subjectively. The words of Psalm 138, 8 come to mind. He will perfect that which concerneth me. He will not forsake the work of his own hands. Zion may say, the Lord hath forsaken me. Can a mother forget her sucking child? I will never forget you. He will do it to me. What he has done objectively, he will do to me subjectively. He will work it out. He will do it. But I need to focus on him. I can lean wholly on him for salvation. He is my Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Because he says he will do it all. Even all that I have requested. Think about that. Are you hesitant? And asking for something from Christ. Let these words bring you to Christ with courage, with boldness. Even if it's hard. Say, Lord, it says here that you will do everything that I request. You know what's best for me? But you can bring large petitions, daring and bold petitions in respect of your relationship with Christ. To be sheltered under his wings. He's done it all. And he will do it all. Whatever you require, whatever you ask. What better place to rest your weary and anxious soul than the word of the greater Boaz? But then she also receives assurance, not just in the affirmation of her request, but in the acknowledgement of her virtue. Maybe you say, well, how can Ruth receive assurance from this statement of Boaz in verse 11? For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. The idea behind Boaz's statement is here is that all those who were sitting in the gate of the city, all the wise men, saw Ruth. They had heard of Ruth. Her reputation had come to their ears, and they knew that she was a virtuous woman. Her reputation had gained traction in the city gates of Bethlehem. She was becoming known as the one who had returned with Naomi, but also as the woman who showed loyalty to her mother-in-law in caring for her and now willing to secure redemption for her mother-in-law through marriage with Boaz. Her confession formed the basis for her life in Israel. Ruth 1, verses 15 through 18, that confession there, 
was the foundation for her reputation, her confession of who the Lord was. Thy God, my God. Thy people, my people. Where you will go, I will go. Where you will lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, there will I be buried also. Her hard work and industry in the fields and securing food for Naomi revealed her virtue, her noble character. What does this remind us of in Scripture? We talk about virtue and noble character. Is it not the Proverbs 31 woman? Let's read a few verses from this description, verses 10 and 29 through 31. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. In Proverbs 31, it's safe to say we have an echo of what Boaz is saying here about Ruth. As he acknowledges her virtue. It didn't matter that Ruth was a Moabite ethnically, that she was a stranger in the land of Israel. She was a woman of virtue, a woman who fears the Lord, a woman who is far more precious than rubies, one who excelled even all the daughters of Israel in their virtue. Ruth is the one who is virtuous, who is of noble character, of grace-produced character. That's what we need to remember when we talk about virtue and noble character. Sometimes we speak of people and we say, he's a good person. She's a, she's a good woman. But what we're talking about here is character that is produced by grace. Character that is produced by grace. Indeed, this word that's translated virtue here in, in uh, verse 11 is the same word that's used to Boaz in Ruth 2 verse 1 where he's described as a mighty man, as a a virtuous man. The word mighty there speaks to his inner spiritual and moral courage, so it speaks more of a a spiritual character. Boaz also was a man of virtue. He and Ruth both possessed this noble character produced by grace. And we see quickly that this formed the basis of their relationship. It's not ethnicity. It's not shared passions and interests and hobbies. It's this grace-produced character. It's grace that really provided the foundation for their relationship. And here's a question for young people. A practical question flowing from this. When you're seeking marriage, when you're seeking a spouse, what do you look for in a potential spouse? Surely someone who's good looking. As Paul Washer said last week, there's going to be a day when when you'll be ugly and old. So there has to be something more important as the foundation for a relationship than just looks or shared interests. Isn't it grace that works in the heart that produces this character? Is this what you're looking for in a prospective spouse? Perhaps even more importantly, Is this who you are as you're seeking to be a spouse 
to someone else. Because here we see these two people of noble character. These two people of inner spiritual grace resulting in moral conduct and upright conduct, virtue. God bringing them together because of what he's produced within them. It's essential to marriage, but also to all of life. Are we living out this virtuous, grace-produced character? We Proverbs 31 men and women, if we want to make the application to both sexes this morning. What's this virtue that Boaz sees and commends in Ruth? Her reputation is that of a woman of noble character. The spiritual parallel this morning is both beautiful and comforting. Isn't this how Christ identifies his own? He no longer identifies his children by their former sins. He gives them a new identity. Read 2 Corinthians 5. Those who are in Christ are a new creature. He sees a noble, grace-produced character and identity that he's put there himself. His words of assurance to a soul that wrestles with sin is this. That wrestles honestly with sin putting it to death. For all the city doth know that you are virtuous. So often this seems contrary to our lived experience of a, a life of sanctification, doesn't it? We confess sin. So we heard last Sunday evening. We forsake sin. And yet the memories of it linger. At times it rears its ugly head again. And so this statement of virtue seems contrary to that lived experience of living a sanctified life. And so we need this assurance this morning, those who are believers. We need this assurance that this is indeed how Christ views us as a result of his justifying grace. It's out of this identity of noble, grace-produced virtue that you and I are called to live and can live. So what does Christ see when he looks upon you? Does he see one who is still living in Moab? Or does he see one who's at his feet this morning, confessing their need of his his wings, his redemption again? The city knows that you are a virtuous woman. Contrary to lived experience, because often we know ourselves better than other people, and all we see is sin. But other people look at us and see virtue. And sometimes it's hard for us to know that. But Christ knows it. Sinclair Ferguson writes that as Boaz looked upon Ruth, she was someone in whom he could see himself. Think about that for a moment. She was someone in whom he could see himself. Are we thinking about that this morning as believers? Maybe even trembling at his feet this morning. Struggling to break through the fog of unbelief and doubts. Did you know 
But if you are in Christ, you are someone in whom Christ can see himself. A virtue not your own. A virtue that comes from Christ. And so he says, in me, your fruit is found. So again, take your eyes from off of yourself and look to Christ. Listen to his word and know that you are someone in whom he can see himself. No matter how contrary it might seem, if you're placing your sole hope of redemption in Christ alone, this is how he views you. And lastly, Ruth receives assurance from Boaz in the midst of the anxiety of a near kinsman. Let's first sing. Well, in verse 12, Boaz reveals a nerve-wracking anxiety into the equation. It seems like he's undercutting everything he said, all these words of assurance, all these words of promise, these I wills. He says, and now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. How be it? How be it? Ruth, I want you to know something. There's, there's a nearer kinsman than I. That's bad news, isn't it? Bad news for Ruth and her hopes of redemption. There is someone who stands in the way between her and Boaz. A nearer kinsman. That's not something that she had reckoned with, a piece of the puzzle that her and Naomi did not know about. What is going to happen now? Notice how Boaz frames it, though. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. It's true. Ruth, you've taken hold of it and you can continue taking hold of it. It is true I am your near kinsman. Hold on to that, Ruth, in spite of this news of a nearer kinsman. Boaz counsels her to wait. He says, tarry this night. It shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. That seems alarming. What is Boaz saying here? In one sense, it assures Ruth that there will be a redeemer for her and Naomi. If it's not Boaz, then it will be this nearer kinsman. But Boaz has committed himself. He would do to Ruth all that she had required or asked for. Will she forget that commitment as this test comes her way? Boaz sees it as a detail that can be overcome, in a sense. Because his next words underscore his commitment. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth. He underscores his commitment with an oath. The work of redemption with an oath. And we'll see how Boaz overcomes this obstacle of the nearer kinsman in order to redeem Naomi, her inheritance, and to marry Ruth. He recommits himself to the work of redemption if the nearer kinsman will not do it. His last words underscore confidence that redemption will be accomplished. He says, I will, as the Lord liveth, He bids Ruth rest till the morning. Lie down until the morning. Just rest. Just wait. Fear not, my daughter. It's true. There's a nearer kinsman. It's true that I'm your kinsman, but there's a nearer kinsman. 
And if he will do it, well, but if not, know that as the Lord lives, I will do it. Boaz has it under control. Boaz will do it. We have the end of the story, don't we? We don't want to run ahead and spoil this. But we know that Boaz will do it. As we come to the end of this response to Ruth, we're left with more tension. Redemption will be accomplished. Ruth can be assured of that. Then there's the tension of this other nearer kinsman who holds the right of redemption. It points out to us the integrity of Boaz in regards to the entire process of redemption. He will allow it to play out. And even as he allows it to play out, he assures Ruth that he will redeem Ruth. And yet there's this unknown in the equation now, this nearer kinsman. What will he do? An unknown relative. On one level, Boaz speaks to the reality of the situation of this nearer kinsman. It could go very differently for Ruth. She could end up with this unknown family member to be her husband. But on another level, Boaz points out the spiritual reality. There's one closer indeed than himself that has redeemed Ruth and Naomi. It's the Lord. David Strain in his commentary writes this. He says, when the story ends and all is settled at last, we are left to conclude that there is indeed a Redeemer closer than Boaz. He is the Lord of covenant love himself. It has been the Lord who has worked all along to woo and win the hearts of both, both Naomi and Ruth and to weave them into the fabric of the grand tapestry of redemptive history. That through them, the final Goel, the perfect Redeemer, and Boaz's descendant and heir, the Lord Jesus Christ, might come to give us all the rest we seek. So in either situation, whether it's Boaz or this unknown family member, it's pointing us to the reality that Christ is the only Redeemer of God's elect. Pointing to the Lord who would provide redemption through His Son. There's that tension. But we also get the sense from Boaz's words here that he will not rest until Ruth and Naomi are at rest and redeemed. That's what I want you to take away from these last words this morning. Isn't that true of Christ as well? We might live with tension and anxiety in our lives regarding our relationship with Christ. But in the midst of that anxiety and restlessness here, we are pointed to the great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. He's done what Boaz was limited in doing here, but will later accomplish in chapter 4. Jesus is the one Redeemer. Beloved, where will you find rest for your soul this morning? If you're in Moab still this morning, let me encourage you that there is bread in Bethlehem. There is a Redeemer for sinners. 
Ruth is proof positive that this is so. He's drawn her from Moab. And he's willing and able and gracious to draw you from Moab this morning. For a believer this morning, no matter what your condition is, whether you're trembling this morning at the feet of Christ, whether you're dealing with anxieties and fears and struggles and spiritual darkness, or whether you're assured, know this, that there is rest under the wings of the Redeemer. Ask Him to spread His wings over you. He will do that all, he will do all that is required. He'll do it to you. Listen to his words of assurance. Rest until the morning breaks. And trust that he not only will do all, but has done all for you. Do not tremble, but trust. Do not be anxious, but believe. Lie down at his feet expectantly and see what the morning brings. Amen. We thank thee, Lord, for thy assurances this morning our most gracious and compassionate. We pray that we would take heed to thy word. Thou art the greater Boaz, that what he was limited in doing because of the nearer kinsman, thou hast overcome all obstacles so that we might be redeemed. We might hear these words of truth this morning to calm our fears, to take away our anxieties. We might see Thee. Those be our all and in all. Lord, we pray, bless Thy Word, that it would sustain us every moment, every hour, every day, so we can see thee as thou art and we can look back on our lives. We'll say, why? Why did we doubt with such intensity? Why was anxiety so powerful? Why was unbelief so strong? Why didn't I listen like I should have and could have? And taken these words to myself, to the glory of Christ. And so, Lord, help us to learn again. There is no rest apart from Thee. We come again, seeking shelter under Thy wings. Thou art worthy. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.